Northwest Christian School Online provides online Christian education for any students ranging from kindergarten to 10th grade. The tuition is fully covered through the state of Arizona's ESA program and is affordable for families out of state. You can count on NCS Online for a rigorous, proven online program that establishes a robust biblical worldview for all students. For more information, go to ncsonline.org. That's ncsonline.org. They're trying to meet a spiritual need with something besides God. Because every other religion is a give and take. As long as you have breath in your lungs right now, there's hope. What about Wednesday? It is February 8th. We are flying through the school year, as I say We're often. We're back, baby. Another uh, Wednesday. What about Wednesday? With our friend Robbie Lashua. Yeah. And last couple weeks, we've been talking about The Chosen. Yeah. And uh, today we got another um, very interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah. It's, this one is kind of, we went from pop culture to to a little deeper. To orthodoxy and long-term <laughs> theology. Would you call this heresy? Open theism? Yeah. 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 Ooh, okay. Well, maybe this is kind of exciting. I yeah. Would. Yeah, I yeah. would. Okay. I, yeah. Okay, so open theism is, is our topic today. And this one kind of came about in a roundabout way. Uh, two students talking with Mr. Brown about predestination and trying to uh, reconcile some of the free will components of that versus the foreknowledge of God, right? And so they're wrestling with that, and this led into uh, a number of different things, including open theism. And we'll define that in just a minute. But then it also separately, as I looked into this and tried to, you know, you should, when you're a Christian educator, you feel a certain obligation to answer some of the questions that your students yes. pose or at least attempt it. And so I was looking into it and I, I discovered that some of my favorite Christian rock bands have taken positions on this. Oh. And I thought, wow, okay, so there's a couple in, in particular uh, whose name shall go unmentioned, but they they have taken a position uh, as open theists. And so I, I started looking into it more, and I hit the easy button and said, nah, I could stay up all night and read about this, or I could just ask Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're talking about the tension that exists between the perfect foreknowledge of God and this idea of free will. And I'm going to start with a definition of open theism. Open theism, also known as openness theology or the openness of God or free will theism, is an attempt to explain the foreknowledge of God in relationship to the free will of man. The argument of open theism is essentially this. Human beings are truly free. If God absolutely knew the future, human beings could not truly be free. Okay, so I'll say, let's say that again. The argument of open theism is essentially this. Human beings, that's the premise, human beings are truly free. Therefore, if God absolutely knew the future, human beings could not truly be free. Mm -hmm. Therefore, and this is not part of the quote, but therefore God must not have perfect grasp on the future is what's what's being said here. Actually, that's what it says. Therefore, God does not know absolutely everything about the future. Open theism holds the future is not knowable. Therefore, God knows everything that can be known, but he does not know the future. Again, because the future- 
is a no, but it's yeah. it's not in existence. Yeah. Okay. So the term open theism was introduced in 1980 uh, with theologian Richard Rice's book, The Openness of God, The Relationship of Divine Foreknowledge and Human Free Will. The broader articulation of open theism was given in 1994 Mm -hmm. when five essays were published uh, by evangelical scholars, including Rice, under the title The Openness of God. And then I was stunned— to learn that one of my favorite Christian authors, Madeline Leingle, who has written uh, the books based, starting with The Wrinkle in Time. Hmm. Have you guys seen the, A Wrinkle in Time, the, the movie it. or read it? Did you read it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Didn't read it. Brilliant Watched book. some of the movie. Dumb movie. Wasn't impressed. Yeah, I don't know how you... Movie, right? Wasn't it a recent well, movie? Disney redid it yeah. and <laughs> Disney-fied it, um, with, it. Took it in a remarkably... Un, you know, Madeline Langle's a Christian, and so biblical worldview yeah. is going to be espoused within her representation of time. Uh, that didn't exactly ring true with the Disney version. I don't know, frankly, how you make a good movie based on this book. Mm-hmm. But the point being that here's a, here's an author I truly respect and, and appreciate biblical worldview from, and yet she's an open theist. I mm-hmm. thought that was interesting. Um, so I think that's where we want to start and, and just say, Robbie, hey, what can you tell us? I mean, we, we've said that it might be a heresy. Yeah, I, I think it is. Mm-hmm. But um, the interesting thing about this, so when I was in like uh, my undergrad at, at ACU and in Phoenix Seminary, uh, Clark Pinnock and Gregory Boyd, they were like the big time evangelical scholars writing books about this. Okay. And everyone hated them. Right? <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> like, this is crazy. This is heresy. Um, so many people. Norm Geisler got very upset with him. He actually quit the Evangelical Theological Society over this. Because the society was still allowing Greg Boyd and and Clark Pinnock to be a part of it. And he said that they are um, not believing in the inerrancy of Scripture by questioning God's omniscience, that God knows all things. Mm. And so he quit. He left. He never came back. He said, I'm done with this society. And he had been the president before. I mean, Mm. big deal. Big deal. So this caused big issues. Um, But uh, I thought it died down, but I guess it hasn't in the Christian music industry. (laughs) Because I I just don't hear about it talked about that much more in in evangelical academic circles. It's kind of a it's kind of been answered, I think. Has so it? yeah, yeah. That's okay. nobody's arguing over this anymore. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in. We, yeah, uh, so see what a you later. Great we, we fixed it. <laughs> more about the chosen. We fixed the problem fixed you didn't it. even know was there. Um, no, so so yeah. The idea, the, the interesting thing about this is that these guys uh, aren't making up an idea. They're reading verses in the Bible, and they list I think like eighty verses all over the place that talk about um, God changed His mind. There's tons of verses about that. Um, in Exodus 32, mm-hmm. 14, it says that. Jonah 3, 10 says that. First uh, Samuel 15 talks about how God regrets. So what's your regret? Yeah. I wish I would have done it differently in the past. Mm. Um, they also point to all the scriptures where God tests people to see if they'll be faithful, like Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Isaac, yeah. Well, what does the angel say? Now the Lord knows that you will obey. Wait, what? So is God learning what's happening as well, history Luke, unfolds? Luke 2.52 says, it's interesting, Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus 
increased or grew in wisdom grew. and in stature and in favor, favor with God and man. And with man. With yeah. God and man, too. And so there's two elements there that are kind of troublesome. One would be Jesus increased in favor with God, with himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so there was a point at which God loved Jesus less, and now he loves him more. Mm-hmm. And then how does the embodiment, the incarnation, grow in wisdom Yeah, over time? So that's an, that is an interesting paradox. It is. Well, and I, but I, I also think Philippians 2 plays into Jesus' situation where he humbled himself and didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, yeah, but he empty. emptied himself he didn't tap into his god attributes so he really could live like a human mm. so but but that's not but okay the god but that's one's one, kind of a hard thing yeah that's just one person in the trinity that's yeah. not yeah that's not all of god yeah the fear of god thing i don't know how to make yeah. sense of that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not, just ignore that oh okay? thanks for listening just, folks <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no um, solutions here that um, is so, it is interesting so there's a ton so they're not making up this idea you can read those verses and be like do we trust what the Bible says or not? It says God changed his mind. It says that he regrets. It doesn't isn't that what he says before the flood? Mm. I regret that I even made man. Yeah. Well, if you knew it was going to get that bad, then you wouldn't have done it. That's what it's that's what it's intending to say, isn't it? So how so their view is God does not know the future because um it doesn't exist. And if he did, all of this stuff wouldn't be in the Bible where he's communicating that he changes his mind. And then the second thing, because they are what I would call extreme Arminian theology, that's where they're coming from. They're, they're not a reformed Calvinist. They're Arminian. So they already uh, have allegiance to free will, and they are trying to make sense of how we actually can have total free will. And if God, they, their their misstep is in thinking that if God knows the future, we don't have free will. That is not true. You can have free will, and God can still know the future. Yeah. What they're what they're philosophically the problem is they're equating God knowing something with God causing something, and that's not the same thing. Where the extreme Calvinist will say. Um, yes, God causes everything to happen, whether it's murder or rape. He causes it because there's nothing outside of his decrees, which that's not true. The, so this side's going to the other extreme saying God doesn't know anything that's going to happen in the future. And that's how we actually are free. I guess it's a way then to reconcile the problem of evil. Uh, yeah. And it's also, I mean, for, for, for the open theist, it's a way to um, hold that we have, um, I would say, hard libertarian free will is what they say so like ultimate libertarian free will like we really do make our own decisions i think we really do make our own decisions but god also knows the future because here's the thing um god doesn't just know what will happen he knows all possible things that could happen Mm -hmm. so that so that that's what omniscience is right and there's so many scriptures that are clear on this he knows the beginning from the end Right? Yeah. The guy who made time doesn't know what the future holds. And then think about all that crumbles if this is true. How, how does he know that he'll keep his promise that I have eternal life? Maybe he'll, he'll change his mind. Well, you raise a good point. Yeah. Time is a discrete entity that is created by God. He is not subject to it. Yes. Right. And so open theism almost posits that God, like us, is moving through time 
one moment by one moment by one moment where scripture would represent he is alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. Yes. Before yeah. Abraham was, I am. Well, and there's all these passages where he says he knows the end from the beginning. Right, First John 3.20, God's greater than our hearts and he knows all things. So so we have conflicting messages. Does he know all things? And how do we, how do we um, interpret that with he changed his mind, he regrets, all that stuff? Interesting. That's where the – because both people have scripture on their side. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it comes down to how do we in, make all scripture work together with mm-hmm. itself. And I think there's a couple of things that are really important with this. Um, you know, David, I've been reading through the Psalms and even in Proverbs it talks about this stuff. Uh, but David says things like, um, the Lord is a mighty fortress. So we should create our own religion where we talk about how God is actually a castle. He's stones stacked up on each other and he's a big tower yeah. that you can run into and he's actually a castle. Does it make sense? Yeah. yeah. Well, no. Well, nobody takes it right. like that. What well, What is that passage? It's It's saying no. He's like a for. It's poetic. It's an imagery. So when I taught eighth grade Bible, a big thing was literary genres. Right. What yeah, like exactly? What is, what is he? Yep. The authors. What's What's he trying to intend? Is it history? Is it historical? Is it yep. poetic? Is it uh, prophecy? Is it narrative? Yep. What's the, the right genre? hand of God? Yeah. Well, God doesn't have a body. We're told he doesn't have a body. But now we're talking about the right hand. It's an anthrop. What, explain what that is. What is anthropomorphism? An anthropomorphism is when we ascribe human attributes to God. Yes. Um, so the right hand of God, the eyes of God. Um, I, I don't know. I can't think of too many more off my head. There's also yeah, anthropomorphism. Yeah, that's yeah. the biggest why, word I know. And why do we do? Why do we? Why did the writers of scriptures do that? Or why does God inspire right. the writers of scriptures to use to help us understand? Right to help us understand yeah. Him because He has to relate with us on our level. Yeah, we're little babies. He's trying to talk to. We don't understand. I mean, He's His ways are above our ways. We don't comprehend His ways. He literally uh, writes in, in human language. He doesn't speak human language. <laughs> you know, all these things. So when it comes down to the, the, the big answer for why open theism is, is wrong is because um, those changed his mind's regrets are anthropomorphisms. They're explaining God's emotion and how he feels about what humans are doing in ways we get. Like, I know what regret is. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I'm saying. God, God doesn't like that. <laughs> so there is there not though, and I'm gonna. We could just tie that, you know, put a little bow on that, tie it up, and and then hit pause and in the episode. But I'm gonna throw a little little throw some wrench, wrench. Yeah. Throw some in the works. Okay, so isn't that a slippery slope? So for example, mm-hmm. our next episode, I'm gonna give folks a preview yeah. of what about Wednesday is the story of Jonah. Right. And we're going to discuss, is Jonah historical fact? Is it an allegory or is it a parable? Was there an actual historical moment in time in which a whale or a great Great fish fish. swallowed this man named Jonah? And this is a story with so many fantastical elements that, and it's in a book where there are other parables that are clearly delineated as parables. Is Jonah history? Uh, Is it parable? allegory 
or does it not really matter? And I would say we need to be very, very careful mm-hmm. when we approach Scripture because yes. we can attribute. And, and I think the classic example of this is Genesis 1, where, okay, what do we have here? Okay, well, let me back up. Like, for example, you have in, in the story of Jonah, Jesus talked about Jonah as though it was historical fact. Genesis chapter 1 in my view, is, and, and we may be in different places on this, and, and we'll all go to heaven, guys. I want you to know. You'll, all, you'll be there with me. Thank you. Oh, yeah, you'll be okay. good to know. You'll be okay. But I believe in a six-day creation, 24, six 24-hour days less than 10,000 years ago, mm-hmm. and those that would not believe the Bible, sure. they, they love the Bible, and they love the Lord just as much as I do. Maybe more. Maybe <laughs> clearly more, but but they would say, "Hey, this is this is a this is poetry, Jeff. This sure. is you know this is not historical scientific fact." And I would say, "No, no, it is." Mm-hmm. And and at the end of the day, we're we're all going to heaven. Yeah. So do is there a point in which we sacrifice truth, though? You know, like for example, this open theism has is carried carried it to an extreme. Yes, and unravels the character of God, not, not just in what he knows, but think, think about all the doctrine that crumbles if he doesn't know the future. So uh, what, how, do I, how do I take Revelation serious? Yeah. Mm, yeah. What about eternity? How do I know he's going to keep his promise to me of eternal life? Like if he changes his mind and he regrets and he doesn't know what's going to happen. So now he's, he's also not very powerful if he doesn't know what we're going to do. Well, that's the problem of evil. Either God is all-knowing or he's all-powerful. He can't be both. That's what what some would say. Yep. Because if you're all powerful, then you can't be all good. If you're all good, then you must not be all powerful. You'd stop evil, or you can't stop it. Yeah. But if you were both, you would put an end to it. And yeah. and so they're simply saying that. But the question is, what does an open theist do with the prophets? Well, what they say is, I'm not. This is not a joke. They say God's a he's a pretty good guesser. Wow. Like okay. they'll say they'll say it's like a fa- farmer's almanac. Like the prophecies of Jesus being born and like the, yeah. well, the those, stoner did they, that thing about prophecies. But how... they also believe that he can work in history. So they think okay. he manipulates things to bring about what he says will happen. Okay. So he can alter the future. He's like, like exploding kittens. He's got to alter the future card. Yeah. But he doesn't have. This has... is good, Robbie. I, this is really. Yeah. It's true. That's what they think. Me. That's what they think. Huh, okay. um, that he's wow. a good. He's a good guesser, and he does prophesy, and he brings those things about. Okay, so he can make the future. Yeah. What, but he just doesn't know what he's going to do. Well, he doesn't know everything that's going to happen. He doesn't know how people okay. will respond necessarily. He doesn't know. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, this this I do. Starting yeah. to more fully see the danger here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it this... just bleeds into so many other. Doctrines and attributes of God. One thing, too, I think that disproves their view is this really weird passage from 1 Samuel 23. Mm -hmm. I think this disproves what they're teaching. Hmm. Um, So um, uh, Saul's trying to kill David. David's on the run. Okay, that's the scene. Let me just read this. Um, This is 1 Samuel 23, starting in verse 7. So when Saul was told that David had come to Cala, which is a city, that he's chasing him around, he finds out where he's at. Um, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. So he knows he's in there. I got him cornered, right? So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. Now David knew Saul was plotting evil against him. So he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here, right? The holy 
breastplate. breastplate. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Kayla to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kayla surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come, will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Okay. Definitive. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. coming. Then David said, will the men of Kayla surrender me and my men into the hands of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. <laughs> then David and his <laughs> men. Kind of a bad news, yeah, bad news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So God told him, yeah, you're going to die, right? Then David and his men, about six hundred, arose and departed from Kayla. Which, uh, yeah, if they're gonna, if that's gonna <laughs> happen, so, yeah. we're out of here, yeah. right? We're out of here. And uh, so, and when, uh, and they went wherever they could go. <laughs> that's what it says. So when it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kayla, he gave up to this, the pursuit. David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So wait a second. God said, Saul will come to Kayla and the men will surrender you into their hands. And none of that happened. Right? Uh, kind of an awkward silence in the <laughs> podcast. Wait a second. Hear the I thought drop. God yeah. said it. Was, well, but here's the thing. God knows what will happen depending on what people do this is fast this i think ruins open theism because god knew what saul would do if david would stay and he didn't does that make sense it's almost like the choose your own adventure books it is but yes but god doesn't just know what will happen he He knows knows all possible ever yeah that's choose your adventure you got to kind of pick yep where you go and God knows all the And Jesus outcomes. even says something like this when he's on earth. Uh, he says, if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen what you this. had, they would have. Isn't that what he says? So he knows yeah. what would happen in different scenarios. So again, this idea that he doesn't know the future, I just think there's so much scripture to the contrary. And But we do have to make sense of the changed his mind and regrets verbiage. And I think they're anthropomorphisms. Interesting. He knows more about the future than we can imagine. He knows like every future, what it could have been. He knows what this world would look like in its entirety if you wore a red shirt today instead of a gray one. Yeah. 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 You think about the butterfly effect type idea. Yeah. He knows what, if I didn't exist, he he knows that it's a wonderful life worlds. We're talking Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness. Yeah. This is what we're. It's true. He know he knows yeah. all of that, but he also knows what will actually happen. But just because he knows it does not mean he causes it. And Augustine said this: just because I can remember things from last week, some of which I was the cause of, mm-hmm. doesn't mean I was the cause of all that well, I can remember. And he said, "So it is with God. Just because he knows what will happen, doesn't mean he causes all that he foreknows." Okay, so book recommendation here. Have you guys heard of when I when I walk this through with students and I try to give them a sense? And, and granted, I come from a science background, so I generally compute things through the lens of of science. But there's a great book, and uh, our geometry teacher has our students read it. It's called Flatland. 
by Edwin Abbott, and he is an English theologian. And the subtitle of this book, it's available in the public domain, so you can you can get online tomorrow. It's a small book. I think it's 50-some pages long. It's a very compelling story, so it's, it's fun to watch. If you cannot read 50 pages of a compelling book, if that's you, then you can go ahead and get on YouTube and search Flatland by Edwin Abbott, A-B-B-O-T-T-E. And uh, it's subtitled A Romance Across Many Dimensions. And, and what it does is it tells the story of a first dimensional, no, I'm sorry, a second dimensional creature and a third dimensional creature. Hmm. And they cross dimensions. Interesting. So if you're a second dimensional creature and you are in the third dimension, how do you perceive it? <laughs> From a second dimensional person, that's your only realm your of only reference. Perspective, yeah, is you're perceiving everything that is gloriously 3D from a 2D perspective. If you're 3D, how do you perceive the second dimension? Well, you're again, you're going to be looking at it through your three-dimensional eyes. And so I always use this mm. as, as kind of a parable, and I think this is why Abbott wrote it, was that time is the fourth dimension. And so God stands outside of time. We pass through time moment by moment, and we're trying to perceive an eternal God who stands outside of time through the limited understanding of a 4D perspective. Mm -hmm. We can't experience all of time at once. God does. He is literally Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He sees everything. And he's always known. He doesn't learn. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? He's always known everything. Right. And the beauty of that is is that when he sees Jeff Brown sinning on those rare occasions <laughs> <laughs> as infrequent folks as that may be yeah. Jeff Brown does sin and when he does at the same moment that my sin is seen by God he also sees the sacrifice of Christ mm-hmm. on Calvary. The same moment. That That's, same moment yeah. he sees them both and he he knows that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a powerful powerful mm. book. This is I mean these these ideas that we're talking through today it's so easy to get sideways. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see where an open theist would come up with these these views. Mm-hmm. Um, feel bad well, for them that they slipped the into heresy. And they to preserve free will, which I think is noble because we do have it and yeah. the scripture is clear on that. And we were intended to have it. Yes. So preservation we is We do have it. God's noble. not responsible for my sin. God's not responsible for my evil. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but Which the other side of the equation has to admit, which that's a problem. But the other thing is they're trying to reconcile what do we do with these verses? Because there are verses that say this kind of stuff. I just think that they took a a bad step. <laughs> it's pretty cop-outy for me, but you mentioned Isaiah 55 when God said, my ways aren't like your ways and my thoughts yep. aren't like your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. And uh, we do serve a God that is um, beyond our comprehension, but I love that we can sit and have conversations about this mm-hmm. and, and uh, just hopefully point people to the truth, to Jesus, um, to how loved you are. I love what you said, Mr. Brown, that, that God sees that sin and um, and his son on the cross, and mm. and specifically his son off the cross, because mm. he beat the death. So, yeah. um, you yeah. guys, uh, good conversation about open theism. Thanks again, yeah. as always, Robbie, Mr. Thank Robbie. This is great. I love being here and talking. Str.org. Robbie's got podcasts. He's got uh, articles. articles yeah. he's got courses, free stuff. online courses. Yeah. yeah. Str.org. Yeah. And through frameworks, he's got a he's got a a, a course as well. 
for high school yeah. credit for electives. That's a real course. That's, that's like 18 <laughs> weeks. The ones on our website are like five videos. Yeah. So yeah, different. They're both. That's both. Powerful. If you need high school credit yeah. for an elective, if you're sitting in a public school today and you yeah. want to understand more about apologetics, Frameworks has got the got the Robbie Lashua course for you. Um, but if if you just want to get on to STR, boy, I recommend it. 100%. I'm, I'm there frequently. So, Robbie, 100%. thank you. Yeah. Yep. Have a great day. Folks, thank you. Take care. Northwest Christian School has made Biblical Worldview online courses available to all high school students for transcript credit, regardless of whether they attend public school, private school, charter school, or homeschool. Frameworks is an exciting new initiative utilizing the learning management system of Grand Canyon University. For more information, visit BibleClassesForPublicSchools.com.